Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Into the Bytecode. Today I sat down with John Palmer and Danny Aranda. They're working on PartyDAO, a DAO that's shipping PartyBid, the product that lets people pull their funds and participate in NFT auctions as a team. I thought this was a particularly interesting conversation because John and Danny both have experience working with startups before crypto, and they've both been around for a while. They're veterans of the space. And I think this has put them in a unique position as they creatively think about and lean into what's uniquely enabled with crypto. In this conversation, we dive deep into everything partied out and tease apart takeaways from their experience building this project. We talked about how they ship software, what they see as the role of product vision in the DAO, how they think about hiring, the organizational design, the stack of tools they use to operate, and the legal structures that they're considering. On this last point towards the end, we talked about this idea of legal entities as serverless functions that I thought was really, really interesting. I think this is a conversation that's worth listening to for really anyone building a crypto product or protocol today. I think there's a lot to learn from PartyDAO as a case study. I really enjoyed this chat and I hope you do too. And so with that, I'll leave you to it. there's a lot I want to talk with you about today, but I thought maybe to start telling the story of how PartyBit came together, because for me, it was just a really cool kind of internet native, organic coming together of people that happened. And I thought maybe a good angle on it would be how each of you chose to get involved with the project or how you felt like the gravitational pull of spending more time on it. And whoever wants to take this first, go for it. What's interesting about the way PartyBit came together is, you know, I, I think the way a, a normal team comes together is uh, that there's the people first and then they come up with like an idea and they iterate on the idea and they like go through a different, you know, a few different uh, versions of it. PartyBit started with the idea and then people came together around it in, in the DAO. And so the, the, the very beginning was Dennis Nazaroff, founder of Mirror, posted a, a tweet describing kind of just the high level parameters of the product. So how can like a group of people come together and, and bid on an NFT as a, as a collective and that being kind of a form of, of DAO in and of itself. And Anish from Paradigm put the initial MVP together. He just did the contracts, no, no front end. He went and won a NFT auction from Khan and Samir who have at the podcast. And so that, that, that was the first MVP. Party DAO itself as, a, as an org came together around the same idea, but trying to take what Anish had done and bring it into a more production state. And as that was coming together, there, there wasn't actually like a, a team in place at all. Like it wasn't clear like who was going to build it, who was going to work on it. But in terms of like the very first thing I saw online, of uh, Dennis's Party DAO blog post. What, what was interesting to me was the idea of a DAO that was explicitly about building software, explicitly about shipping shipping some product, versus it being kind of more investment focused or transactional, or or kind of co collecting focused, but just having like you know product and building at the center of it was really cool. Yeah, and it was it was kind of interesting that like the. I remember watching that whole process of Dennis sharing the idea on Twitter, Anish building it, and then Dennis launching the crowdfund. And that sold out in like 25 minutes. Yeah. Like I was, I was actually on the call during that. 
and I would have, I was fascinated by this whole process and I wanted to participate in it, but I totally missed the whole thing because I was literally on a call. And then I messaged Dennis after and he was like, I guess I can send you 10 parties so you can be in the Discord. So that's how I got in. I mean, that's like the classic thing in this space. You like, you never want to be on calls because <laughs> anything could happen in like 15 minutes on crypto Twitter or you miss out on, on, on huge things. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's a classic. Uh, so did you crisis. both just happen to be around or? Yeah, I just happened to be around and I saw, I forget what it was. I think. I don't remember if I saw it on Twitter or in like a group chat I have with some friends, but yeah, I was like, I was excited about the idea, but actually similar to Danny, like the most exciting, I, I, I guess at first, like the thing with the mirror crowdfund was just like mirror crowdfunds were still relatively new. It wasn't like probably in the first 10 crowdfunds, but it was still like exciting just to see a crowdfund. And I was excited to like be contributing them to them to see cool projects started on mirror. But after the crowdfund happened and as soon as like the discord came together, that's kind of when the, the stuff clicked for me too, where I'm being like, oh, okay. I've been kind of critical of like the DAO discourse, like people are like hyping up DAOs, but like to that point, most DAOs are exactly just like, usually it's just some people with a multi-sig. And that, I think that's cool too. But talking about how like DAOs are going to change the world, it, just like, you know, buying stuff or like investing as a DAO isn't going to change the world alone. So the idea that there could be a DAO that was like going to try to create the same results or the same end like product that a startup usually would, but it's going to do so without the company, without the investors, without the full-time employees, that was like theoretically very cool. So which is why I wanted to be involved to see like, can we actually do that? Because I had also written about some stuff like that before. Like I had like an old kind of kind of like half-hearted blog post called like internet native that was just like okay like right now when you form a company you like go on stripe atlas or clerky and you like form the c-corp and like then you raise the money and you get the bank account but theoretically there will be like internet native versions of all these things where you like you don't actually have to form like a c-corp or a corporate bank account or whatever and so this is like potentially like the the kind of pioneer towards seeing what that looks like obviously doing it doing a lot of things very manually but i think this this way of bringing people together and starting something will probably be a big part of the future so i wanted to yeah, be part of that it's interesting that it's kind of meta in that way right like party dao came together in this uh organic way and it's a dao and then the product itself is helping people build daos in right. real time yeah I, I think it's actually very helpful from like a dao member perspective to have that kind of reflection between the product and the org itself. So like party bit is a product. Like I think a core value of it is this idea of like collective ownership, like a group of people being able to like go in on something and like own something together and form a community around that. And uh, party DAO actually embodying that in the way that you know it, it's organized itself, I think is, is very helpful as well. Yeah, it's cool because it's flexible too. Like some, some like parties will end up like having a desire to be something more like a DAO that lives on and like continues to either like have events together or acquire more NFTs or whatever. But then there's others that are just like one-off things. So there's, there's kind of like a nice range there. And then it's also been helpful to see, I think like this year, Pleaser DAO started, which was probably like, at least for me, the first like high profile group of people buying NFTs as like a team with shared capital. And 
we can just kind of like see the behaviors that are happening like three months ahead of us. And then we're just like productizing them and making them trustless through software. So it's kind of cool to be able to just like keep watching what's the cutting edge behavior in NFTs and then adapt it into the party of product. And w- one thing is obviously just the first idea is just bringing people together to pool their capital and get the asset. But now there's a lot more stuff happening with like, you know, when you get like a noun, for example, that noun is one of the main benefits of owning it is being able to vote in governance or take something like loot, which is another like hype, you know, newer project. Loot isn't just something hypothetically that you just like buy and then eventually sell. You could also maybe use it to participate in games or governance or, or whatever. And so it's, as it gives you access to this whole world that's being created. So I think like, well, there's, I think there's many like ways to expand the product, but I think in kind of like the, going deeper vertically vector is being able to take something that a group has owned and now use it in these new ways. But I guess like the meta level pattern here is just like being able to observe the space and then like have a product to fold new behaviors into it is pretty cool. It's interesting because pleaser DAO in some ways is the party DAO behavior, right? Or, Or any of these DAOs. Like you first, you... You have an idea to maybe buy a piece of an, an NFT or you and a few group, few friends are choosing to like, you know, set up a little multi-sig together and go out and buy things. And party DAO is based, party bit is basically just taking that and making it super easy and making it possible for you to do that with other people without knowing who they are. And maybe to just b- briefly like to lay the groundwork before we like keep talking about this, like what is party bit actually? Like what does it let people do? I think the the way I usually say it, the one sentence description is uh, PartyBit is a product that lets people pool their money together and participate in NFT auctions as a team. And then to follow that up, when a party wins an NFT auction, the NFT is fractionalized into ERC-20 tokens. And those tokens are distributed to the people in the party based on how much ETH they put into the winning bid. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, so- that, that's like the most literal version without like kind of expanding into like what people are doing with it or whatever Uh, totally and so what happens after that so you're like now you have these people who own fractional shares of an nft these are erc 20s and like there's a whole space of possibility in how these people communicate with each other and you know what happens from that point onwards yeah right right now when the auction ends not completely, but we more or less kind of kick people over the wall into fractional dot art world. So right now, the, the way that we do the fractionalization is through another protocol called Fractional. And they have smart contracts that let you kind of put in an NFT to put out fractions. And those fractions govern the usage of that NFT in the future. The main thing you can do with the fractional token is you can vote on what the new reserve price should be. And so if you imagine like 100 people pooled together their money to buy an NFT. Now they all have fractions. Those hundred people can all put in their own vote. I think the reserve price should be 50 ETH or 100 or 20. And what fractional does is it takes a token weighted average of those votes and it sets the new reserve price. There, there's some constraints there, but basically then that, that NFT is sitting there with a reserve price and you know eventually a buyer can come along and place a bid above that reserve price and it just kicks off a new auction. So hypothetically, you know the, the full long tail thing is someday... That, that NFT gets auctioned off again, it sells, and the ETH from that auction, then again, there's a token-weighted distribution of the ETH to the people who were holding the fractions of that token. So 
now there, there's other things, maybe Danny would speak more to this, but there's other things people are doing with the tokens in the meantime, because the cool thing about these fractional tokens is even though they have these special fractional features like voting on reserve price, they're also just ERC-20s like anything else. So you can still do stuff like a token-weighted Discord or a private community or whatever you want because you have this very versatile kind of instrument underlying the whole thing. Yeah, the, the, the emerging behavior that we weren't expecting going into releasing party bid was the community element that would emerge out of different, different parties people were putting together. And so the, the first example that sticks out in my mind is there was the, the, the zombie punk that was auctioned off party bid formed around it the party bid won it was it was exciting because there was a, there was another bidder there were a few other bidders uh, it was it was competitive it was a uh, battle it, it was a whole battle came down you know, to the wire came, came down to the wire there was a user d- dingaling yeah. like came in last second with like 100 eth or something like that like yeah, dingaling ding, come into the risky ding, dingaling there was you know memes going around online of like dingaling like you know really bring out uh, you know coming, coming out in force <laughs> yeah and so it, it was this whole kind of event and experience and i think everyone kind of being online and, and seeing that occur kick-started this community and i remember right when the right when the auction was won i just started looking at my twitter feed and like i just saw like hundreds of people had changed their avatar right their their, their profile picture to the zombie punk I and mean, some of them had also uh, modded it to be, uh, you know, the zombie punk plus a plus a party hat to indicate that they, yeah. they, they were part of uh, that moment. And they they formed a token gated Discord called the Grateful Dow. The, the token was called Dead Token, so they were deadheads. And so you you kind of got this emergent community and, and culture around the piece, which which we did not necessarily think about that right. within the product itself, but but started to feel like the greatest, like the the, 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 the breakthrough. Yeah, that, that, that felt like kind of the biggest, well, one of the biggest opportunities around it. And I think this is still all very new in NFTs. Like there have been communities around NFTs for a while, but again, like the Pleaser example, Fingerprints DAO, all, all the different DAOs that are forming around Shark NFTs. Shark DAO too. Shark, Shark DAO, shout out to, to Nicholas and crew. That's a DAO to buy nouns, is it? Yep. Yeah, they, they use a platform called Juicebox, which is it was super interesting uh has a bunch of uh interesting treasury management tools but yeah their, their whole reason for existing is, is for the notes they, they want they want more notes yeah and so this the zombie punk like how much did it actually sell for in the end it was over 1100 eth somewhere around that yeah if I'm, if I'm I, I don't remember the exact price in eth for me I'll try to pull it up while while, we, while we're sitting here. Yeah, it was it was a bit over eleven hundred, maybe twelve hundred in ETH, and there was a pretty wide distribution in terms of like who contributed. Like some folks contributed a lot, like Andy for fractional, and and some folks that put in you know less than yeah. hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, uh, twelve hundred and one ETH. Wow. There you go. How much was that in dollars? In Nine, dollars, over three million. Yeah, three point six. Something like that. So just hundreds of people came together and pulled in like more than $3 million to buy yeah. a CryptoPunk. Yeah. That was also like, yeah, it, it had like all these things happening at once where like it was a super hot punk market. It was one of the first party bids ever. There, there was just like a lot of excitement around that party. And yeah, it was pretty cool. Danny, you said, I remember you said the other night that going through the zombie punk launch reformatted something in your brain. Like going through that experience changed you. 
So what what did you what did you get from that experience? Yeah, and I I don't mean to pretend that this hasn't been going on in the space for a while, but like my my own personal experience in the space has been much more infrastructure focused. And as I was thinking about and exploring like things to do next, I was definitely like defaulting more to like L1, L2 protocol level projects. Like that, that that's what I thought would be like interesting and like the, the right thing to work on. Um, I think we're reaching like a, a very different point though in, in crypto now. And, you know, if you think about like, if you were the, if you're like a hot shit engineer back in 2017, like the, the prestigious cool thing to work on would have been a, a brand new L1. But if you think about what you should have been working on, it should have been like, should have been building Uniswap or you should have been doing something in DeFi. And, and you know, the, the takeaway there is like, it becomes like a bit more application focused, right? And you're kind of like working your way up the stack. And I think with PartyBid, what it demonstrated for me, and again, not like it hasn't been demonstrated with with other applications out there, but it demonstrated for me that like the the big opportunity in crypto going forward is going to be surfacing things that have the potential to become like mass consumer applications. And uh, specifically something around, you know, NFTs point to part of it, but it's something to do with like social networking on on crypto. And, And that's why the kind of, community aspect that was coming out of things like the, the, the zombie punk and so on are, are exciting. Like they, they look like these small uh, social networks, but that there is this economic piece to it where they, they own something together and then that can become v- v- very motivating. And so the, the way I think about it, like refracting my brain is like, it, it totally like took me out of this kind of infrastructure mindset and was like, oh man, like, like the big opportunity is something application focused that is fundamentally about social software and it likely has nfts as a component i mean the the product market fit between nfts and DAOs, i think is like well well demonstrated at this point and DAOs uh being a social community i think is well demonstrated as well so it's about how, how do you package all that up to kind of reach like whatever the next number of users are to really participate in that so, okay, so you think that the interesting space of exploration right now, or an interesting space of exploration, is primitives and more like social structures and experiments that bring people together and allow them to collaborate, like feel belonging, like build community. Like that's the space of things to explore. And like what we have to. It's kind of interesting because NFTs are in some ways or a lot of what we're doing in crypto is like creating shelling points, right? It's like we're almost taking this arbitrary thing that doesn't have any value or meaning in its own and we're choosing to make it this focal point for the sake of gathering with other people around it, right? Like that second order effect is almost what's interesting about what's happening. Yeah, you, 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 you could argue yeah. Bitcoin is that, right? Like Bitcoin is the social network around like Bitcoin, the asset. And then there's this community like memeing it into something extremely valuable. Yeah, Bitcoin holders are just like party party holders of an NFT, but the NFT they all hold is Bitcoin. <laughs> they all yeah. fractions of Bitcoin, the network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and we, we, we were even like joking around the other day about this with, with Billy from... Cosmos about like, uh, you know, Christians hold fractional NFTs of like the crucifix and they have this community and like value system that is like, oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, building, <laughs> you know, this thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, right, like bit- Bitcoins are just fractions of the Bitcoin network NFT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Bitcoin could be one NFT that's fractionalized into 21 million pieces. But I guess what's different there is that Bitcoin has the meme, like, you know, it is the shelling point around which a whole community and ecosystem has formed. But you could also say that, like, the token has some utility, right? I mean, it. I guess any NFT could become, well, would become a store of value, right? Being a store of value is almost like a byproduct of being a meme that enough people buy into. Yeah, I think, I think, so these are funny, like, one more thing on the, on the, like, what to build stuff is just, like, I think the pattern Danny was saying in terms of, like, levels of abstraction makes sense. And just to tie it back in, like, back in, like, 2017, when, like, Ethereum was there, there weren't a lot of, like, real dApps. But there were a lot of tokens because we were in the ICO era, right? So what's the main thing people want to do with these tokens? They want to trade them. So the best thing to build was Uniswap. It's like, I'm going to just productize the thing. The one thing people are doing, given like what we have in the ecosystem, we have a lot of tokens. There should be a place to trade them all. You build Uniswap. That's a great idea. Now, after like DeFi summer and all this stuff, there's actually like a lot of, of DeFi applications. There's a lot more stuff in the space. So, and there's more things people want to do with those. And I think like, even within DeFi alone, people kind of like riffed on like more complex derivatives and things to do with the ERC-20s or whatever. But um, now now I think Ethereum is like just a way more fruitful space with a lot more like flourishing projects. So there's NFTs, there's DeFi, there's like some gaming stuff. And so the the thing to build in terms of like abstraction, like Danny was saying, it, it, it was like an L1 and then it was an application but now there's a bunch of applications. It's it's things that bundle and compose those applications together, right? So people have always been talking about composability in the space and whatever. It's not really about the term. It's just like, oh, there's now patterns of behavior that we can see that people want to do given how many things are here, but no one has like reduced the friction and made those things easy to do. Like we obviously see PleaserDAO started because Leighton tweeted, Leighton Cusack tweeted, anyone want to like pool money and do this thing? And then a bunch of people like Robert Leshner and like other big, you know, Twitter crypto people just manually sent ETH to Layton, trusting that he would like buy the NFT and they would figure it out. Right. That's a lot of friction and a lot of trust. And also like that's if you happen to be in like the crypto founder kind of realm where you can get access to like all that capital, it's an obvious thing to do to just like reduce. That's a, that's a new thing people want to do, just like they wanted to trade tokens and Uniswap made it easier and trustless. People want to pull their money to get NFTs. And that's something you can make easier and trustless. And there's a whole bunch of stuff like that where you can just look at things people are manually doing in terms of like user flows between the hops between these applications where you can just streamline it and have a great application. And like PartyBid did that for one behavior so far, but now there's actually more behaviors even within our product and outside of our product that people are doing that that we can productize, right? So like one thing that people do both on PartyBid and elsewhere, like on Juicebox or whatever is oh, cool, we all got fractions of this uh, NFT. Let's make a token-gated Discord. Well, there, there's no reason that when a party ends, there can't just be a button there that automatically spins up the server using the Discord API, adds the CollabLand bot, and funnels you into the community completely seamlessly. Right now, it's all manual. But like, there's so many things now happening on PartyDAO that are just like the future product expansion, yeah. just seeing the natural behavior happen. I feel one thing I'm taking away from what you're saying is like in 2017, one type of thinking that was pretty common was to 
just be to be looking 20 years into the future and be talking about how crypto was going to, you know, there were, we're going to kind of transcend borders and nation states and we're yes. going to, you know, have a legal system that's going to be yeah, fully edu- like, tangible. Edu- uh, yeah, it's going to be running fully on chain. And because everything is so new, there is this maybe natural tendency to try to project too far into the future and be like, where can all of this go and try to build that thing? But I guess what you're saying, which is I also agree with, and we've seen it a lot in the space, is it's still this kind of organic step-by-step exploration, right? You don't need to look beyond what comes right after here. Just take the behavior that people are you know, doing manually and unscalably and like build them into products and then that will let the next thing emerge. Right. And I guess I think like the best thing to do is kind of have both, right? Like, like there's, there's two failure scenarios. You thought too long-term and you never took off or you thought too short-term and you took off and then it was just like a fad, right? So the long-term thing would be like, you build like digital nation state primitives for like citizens to like move their whatever, like, and, and just nobody uses it because it's like too esoteric. Or the other thing is being like, I don't know, one, one of these like fad social apps or whatever, like, I don't know if you remember like T, not even in the crypto world, but like TBH was like, I don't know, they got acquired. So it was a successful outcome, but like they were an app that like spiked in the app store, but like six months later, just no one was using it. So you don't really want to be either. But I think the key, like the nice balance to strike is you have to be something that is relevant right now that also has long-term potential if you can like keep, keep it going. And I think like there, there are certain founders, even from like non-crypto that I think have always been really good at that. I think of like Evan Spiegel from Snapchat as someone who is like really good at hitting the timing on behaviors where they're like just emerging and hot now, but they also have like longer term ramifications. So like they invented the disappearing photo stories, like, you know, filters, yeah. lenses, like all the stuff was like perfectly timed and they like sequenced that together. I think that for me, it was like, the cool thing about party DAO or party bid and I'll kind of, this isn't, this isn't pumping myself up because it's not even my idea, but it was just like a thing that was like, Oh, okay. This is a behavior that's obviously relevant right now. So there's no like waiting for the market to catch up to what we're building. But even though there's the, the core thing works right now, there's also all the longer term stuff of like, Oh, if these things are like really small proto DAOs, like there's a bunch of DAO tooling stuff there, but there's also like, fractionalization of nfts and like ways of governing nfts is also clearly its own whole space like enabling like twitch place pokemon style interaction with nfts especially if they're in-game items or like i thought that was so cool when dom shipped that the the where you had to keep the character alive and everyone was coordinating around that yeah exactly but you can imagine even stuff like that for like a single loot bag if like the fractional holders of the loot wanted to like play a game with that loot you could you can have anyway i just think that's kind of like the cool thing for me with party that was just like, and even like the first day with the dead thing with it, with the dead party winning for me. Yeah. That was, that was like the moment it's like, Oh, actually this, it actually just kind of like worked on day one. Like the behavior is definitely desired and that's cool. Cause as long as that can continue to be the case, there's a, there's a lot of expansion room for expansion in the future. I mean, the, the other angle on this going back to the prior point was we're, we're now at a point where, like there's enough protocols and projects on Ethereum that you can bring them together and put a front end on top of it and have it be a cohesive experience. Mm. So party bit alone, 
uses multiple auction markets, Zora, Foundation, the Nouns market, and there's a few more being built now. Uh, then there's the party bid actual smart contract itself in terms of being able to you know, pool money into, in, into a smart contract. Then it uses fractional for the fractionalization. And then fractional itself is using 0x, Sushi, and Uniswap right. for trading the fractional tokens. And so in you know the, the, that application alone is touching like you know, close to 10 protocols. And the, the, there are going to be a ton more examples like that of just being able to kind of cobble together all these different like seemingly complex protocols underneath, but making them into like a, a, a pretty seamless user experience that doesn't try to like take away the crypto or make it seem like you're not interacting with crypto, but at least makes it like a fun experience to, to actually use and, and have it be something coherent that, that makes sense to the end user. It also implies something about the archetype of builder or team that can really build these sorts of ideas, right? Like if you're building something that fits the zeitgeist right now and is going to evolve with it, you need to ship really quickly, right? Like you need to have a good cadence of being able to put out products and you maybe don't need to be this really hardcore low-level security engineer or you don't need to have a waterfall process to design your protocol and engineer it and then security audit it and put it out. Like that's another kind of, I guess, if we're looking for early signs of patterns that are emerging is just the smart contract that someone wrote over the weekend and shipped and is like, hey, this is alpha, alpha software and use it at your own risk. I mean, have like, what is the deal with the party bid contracts? Have they been audited or is that, do you, how do you even think about that? I mean, also if it's evolving so quickly, given especially how broken the security audit landscape is where you have to wait five months in advance to get your slot like how do these two things square up with each other well to, to quickly address your earlier point like yes I, I think there is a cultural shift happening in the space where people are are much faster about trying these different experiments and there's a lot of different examples but you know what, what dom is doing with the various nft projects is is interesting because they're they're really fast uh, he says, like, listen, this is unaudited code, like interact with it at your own risk. But what we're trying to do here is, is an experiment and loot the Wamagachi, all, all those pieces kind of fall, fall into it. In terms of how we thought about security with with party bid, I mean, it, it, it's serious because people are putting money into party bids, right? And, and that is a smart contract where money is sitting there. And uh, if, if that were to get hacked, that would be really, really bad. We didn't do a formal audit purely because of timelines and, and wanting to ship. And also budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we had a limited ETH from our, our, the little crowdfund. So yeah, but we have done security focused reviews where we've basically like invited like pretty senior and experienced solidity engineers from various protocols who have like done audits before and had those individuals come in for like a week and look over the contracts. And like in, in those cases, we've also gotten, I guess we can't really call it like a formal audit report, but we've gotten like a, a security focus review report with like the P0, P1, P2 level of vulnerabilities. There's never been any severe vulnerabilities, but they have like tightened up little edge cases. We've done that for every, every time we've updated the protocol, which is now just coming up on the third time. We've had like one or two people come in and perform that kind of review, which feels like it's something that should probably expand over time. The funny, I mean, especially with the first initial launch, we were like, I think the ETH from the crowdfund on Mirror was worth about 100K, like total. And the initial like mandate was let's get an MVP on testnet. 
And uh, we got the team together and like we ended up building like a full on V1 on mainnet with a UI. Like it was way beyond like the scope of what we planned. But even then we spent about like probably half the funding, like roughly 50K if you were to convert it to USD, paying the developers and designers, the PMs, Danny on go to market, like paying the team to build that. So if you think about the pricing of audits, one, we, we couldn't afford like a real audit. But the other thing was we didn't even know how big the launch would be like initially it was like, let's just get something on staging. And as we got closer to the launch, we were clearly like going for a real launch, but it was definitely not obvious that there would be like millions of dollars flowing through the protocol on the first day. So I think what we haven't talked, we've talked about party bid, the protocol and the product. The other interesting thing about this is, is the DAO and like the organization, because this is not being built by like a startup. It's being built by a DAO, which has all its own challenges. One challenge now is figuring out how to fund the DAO and give it the resources to like really speed up development, give it longevity and kind of like um, resistance and resilience to like bear and bull market cycles. Basically the question is like how to get more funding. But right now we're still in the amount of funding. I think there's like if between two and $300,000 worth of assets in the DAO multisig today which with like a team of like six to eight people working full time doesn't give you more than a few months of runway. And so it'd be great to be able to take like $150,000 and get like a full on security audit of the protocol. But there's questions we have to like answer before it becomes worth like basically bankrupting the DAO to, to get an audit. So yeah, I think, I think we'll evolve it over time. But I think this model of doing, you no, know, you could call it a micro audit, right? Where instead of developing everything up front and then having scheduled an, a real audit, you know, four months ahead of time and handing over the code that ha that has a whole bunch of problems because then they'll come back with feedback and it might result in you having to just re-architect a piece of the protocol. Yeah. And um, it puts everything into a very waterfall type process. But I think there are now a, a number of like pretty solid security oriented solidity engineers who could just come in and spend like three days embedded in the team looking at the smart contracts and giving feedback and that goes most of the way especially for these early products towards like having something that's decently secure right and i should just i should just add our, our like disclaimer on the whole thing of like obviously given the state of the contracts i think yeah for for any protocol where money is going through it being like hacked or whatever, having some like drain funds is like the worst case thing that could happen. We we had like one small edge case get discovered in the V1. It couldn't drain the funds, but there was like a, a scenario where you could lock funds. And we ended up like giving a a generous bounty beyond like even the funds that could have been locked, let alone drained. There are no funds that could have been drained, but we ended up giving a great bounty to the developer, bringing them into the DAO. And now they're like a DAO member that's another Solidity engineer. So my, my public disclaimer to, to anyone who listens to this would be like, if anyone does find like exploits or whatever in the contracts, we, we don't think there's anything there given the amount of reviews that have been done to this point. But this kind of like a call for white hat hackers, like we're always looking for great solidity devs and like the DAO is definitely committed to uh, a precedent where like potential exploits are like rewarded fairly by the DAO so that you're setting yeah, a good precedent. Yeah, we're setting a good, I mean, that's, that's what we would hope to do, right? Like I think, I think any organization that pursues this strategy of like, okay, well, we're not going to spend half a million dollars on security audits because we can't. We are going to sh ship the code and, and have all the proper disclaimers. Like this is on in our client as well, set, like has all the proper warnings. But I think any organization that's pursuing that strategy should also say, hey, by the way, like any security focused devs out there, if you find anything, like 
right. we, we can pay you, we can invite you into the DAO. Like we're looking to collaborate with those people too. So that's like a coherent strategy around that way of operating, right? right? right. You, you ship, but you also kind of very generously reward people who proactively right. kind of come and well, find us. Hypothetically, the incentive for a developer is like, oh, you, if, if, if you look at these contracts and find something, you can participate in like the upside of the DAO and like come into the DAO on like the ground floor versus just like draining funds or locking funds once once and like kind of killing any potential future upside. So I think that's like cool to kind of publicly proclaim that like that incentive is there, even though uh, even though there's not like formal bug bounties right now. Totally. Bug bounties in general are very interesting. I had a friend point out to me that bug bounties are a form of retroactive public goods funding, right? Where you're, someone's already done the work of finding the exploit and they're coming and presenting it to you. And there's like, if you anchor on how much value they, like how much value this action of theirs created, it's worth a lot. And like you, projects should reward that work. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So how, how's it been like working in a DAO? Like, how does that feel different than if Party DAO was a normal startup? Just giving some of my own experience, when the V, when the team was chosen for uh, to ship V1, I wasn't on it at first, and so everything that I saw was just as an observer, looking at the Discord, following along with the different work that was being put out. We we did like a product development call early on, just like going over the spec and trying to like actually like you know define what the, what the spec was going to be about. And I will say, you know, compared to like a normal startup experience where the, the, the onboarding process or, or the recruiting process at a normal startup is like very formal, like you have interviews and you are presenting a very specific face and the company on the other side is doing the same thing, right? And all the information that is passed between them is like extremely gated and curated between the two parties. With a DAO, it was like all laid out. Like I, I, I had some sense of like the personalities that were at the table and how they were working together. I also got to see what problems or gaps were available to, to actually work on and start thinking about what a contribution that I could make would, would look like. I think that even goes into the bug bounty example of like, if you have a DAO and there's all this work happening in Discord and it's publicly available, people are going to see things that they can potentially do. And the recruitment process becomes a lot more aligned. Like it literally becomes the same thing as just working because you're just like observing people work and seeing where you might slot in. So I, I think people talk about DAOs as like, okay, well, a lot of DAOs like functionally like aren't anything but like, you know, people in a discord with a multi-sig and like that, that is like technically true. But I think there is also uh, a really significant shift on more of like a cultural and also like work rhythm level that really opens it up. And I think opens it up to like more talent to be able to join yeah. and contribute because of the visibility that they get. I think that's like also an interesting alternate angle on like the whole building in public thing. Like building in public doesn't mean that you're building something and like tweeting about it and advertising it. It's more just that like you're just doing work and it happens to be in a venue where like people can actually observe the work that's happening. So like yeah, it, it, there's not like a marketing element. It's more just like if you pop in the Discord and just see the talk that's happening, you'll like pretty much realize what the team is working on. So one one question I've been sitting with is the way, and I think Party Dow really kind of encapsulated this in a like had this idea embedded in it in the beginning was that the 
openness and the spontaneity with which this initial team came together, right? There was a fully open crowdfund that was announced on Twitter. And whoever was interested in this topic and had been following it self-selected into the project by funding it. And at first, I mean, it was, it was just like, we're building this open source implementation. We're raising the minimal amount that we could do this. So the type of people you attracted, like there was this self-selection that happened into it. But at the same time, it was like anyone on Twitter could have participated in that and become a part of this discord, right? And then the early team organically kind of emerged out of this. And I think that like you've talked about this before, and I totally agree with that too, which is like this allowed for a very, very strong group of people to come together right, yeah. where otherwise it, like there's no way you would have been able to hire these people if it was a normal startup. Right. But on the other hand, like what about the wisdom of if I'm going to build this startup and work on it for the long term, that my early team matters a lot, right? I want to be very intentional about who's, who's involved, who's around the table. And like your team basically determines the entire trajectory of what's going to happen. So on the one hand, you're kind of running this open process. On the other side, you're running a much more curated, you know, like I'm going to bring in people who I have a lot of trust with and who I think are really good. I think the main thing is like maybe with the origin point of like a team like this, you actually just have like an overabundance or, or like maybe in our case, you have, you have an abundance of like willing contributors. And so there is like some like curation element, I guess, or just like selecting a team carefully. I think I, I definitely agree that who's on, who is building like an early product matters a lot. Like the product will end up reflecting that team's like tastes and preferences and skills. And I think definitely want to highlight the point that like building a project in a way that like you don't have to quit your job and come join full time to get to work on it. It's just like, if you have some time, you can work on it. That's what enabled us to have like Danny being willing to like hop in and go to market or Anna doing Solidity or like Khalil from Uniswap designing it. Like you're probably not going to like recruit the first employee of Uniswap away from Uniswap to like join your week old idea. Right. So there's definitely like huge talent arbitrage there. And like, that was cool. What what we did in our case practically was it wasn't totally just like everyone just raised their hand and said, I'm in. And those were the only people and whatever, like the, the staggered way things went down was there was a proposal to like agree on like the rough spec and the Dow voted and was like, okay, here's what we're building. And then um, I kind of like self nominated and said like, I would love to be the PM and hold, I love to just up. kind of so like, in the be- for that spec like yeah. how who put that together was that also you or? I, I drafted the spec and then I think everyone in the DAO kind of like commented and edited it was like a public Google Doc and so there was like a bunch of stuff that I wrote that got that got changed by like you know Danny's comments or Anna's comments I think Dennis was in there like that doc kind of came together and, and everybody was like okay this this should roughly be our spec it was kind of through the discord and then once that spec was there I was like oh cool like I'm pretty excited now like this is looking pretty awesome I want to be the PM or like, I want to like help make this happen. And so I just wrote a proposal that said, okay, like if I were PMing this, here's what I think like the roles would be like, we need a designer, we need a solidity dev. We probably need some solidity reviewers, yada, yada, yada. And like, and we need a PM and I'd like to be the PM. And so I submitted that proposal and people were like, okay, sure. Embedded in that proposal was like, okay, for the rest of the roles on this team, we'll do like a, like a mini hiring process in the DAO. So we created a channel. We created a channel called like V1 Hiring. And I just said like, 
anyone who wants to work on this, if there's like a role, whether it's being the web dev or the designer, whatever, just post a little blurb in that channel. Or if you don't want to post there, just DM me and I will review all the people and then get back to everyone within two days and say either like, we'd love to have you do this role or here's who we chose and why, but, but like, here's a clear reason that we chose them and, and not you. And honestly, like there, there were a lot of people who were excited, but there, it, it wasn't like a massive number of applications. We probably had like 15 people kind of like apply for like five or six roles. And so, um, I just kind of like went through them and like selected the people that seemed like they had the right, like time availability and experience for this product. Um, and there were actually a lot of like really good people who ended up not being on the team, but then still like helping out and like either providing like design review or like looking over the solidity code when they had some free time. Yeah. But that's how we solved it. Basically was like, uh, it's, it's we, we did curate down, like kind of, we, we did like have to manually select like how many people we could actually like pay to work on the project. Right. It was cool how, like, I remember noticing this as well, that you were bringing in more structure in inside of this, like very unstructured process to this point, right? Which didn't need to be that way, right? But I think it was the right call of like, we're going to actually pay these people. We're going to have one person responsible for each of these pieces. Like we need a smart contract engineer. We need a front end engineer. We're going to have an actual team and I'm going to run a hiring process. And I think that that's probably necessary to make any progress. The other interesting thing is like the way this happened, like there was a moment at the beginning of the life of Party DAO where it literally didn't have a leader, right? Like it wasn't like there was a founder who put the idea out there and then carried it through and then it grew. Like Dennis put the idea out there and, you know, I guess a group of people kind of led to this crowdfunding moment. Right. But then there, there, there wasn't anyone who was like, I'm naturally the leader. Like, well, I'd, I would, I, before, before you finish that, I would still say that I would probably think that's still the case. Like, I like PM stuff, but like, yeah, I, I don't know if the implication is that like I'm the leader, but I don't personally like really feel that way. I think maybe like in that first week, it was like, oh, like this guy is like putting some structure in. But I think at this point, like, everyone on that early team has like pretty equivalent influence. And uh, also I think the cool thing about the DAO is like, there's no reason like necessarily has to stay that way. Like, right. like hypothetically, like another PM could come in and like take over where, wherever I left off. Like I, I want to keep PMing obviously, like I'm having a great time working on it, but I think, I think they're, it, it, it's still interesting. Cause like, yeah, like Dennis started it. I like project manage, but like Danny, like, led all the go-to-market and like partnerships that we have which is, like a huge part of it and like i don't know like anna like wrote all the solidity code so like theoretically like it for a lot of protocols like that person would be like the leader right like hayden on on uniswap for example so to get all these benefits uh of like a dow and like getting all this talent and one thing you kind of have to be willing to give up as someone who like might have done a startup or something otherwise is like monopoly over like ownership or control because there's like more more than usual distributed group of people who are like controlling the project at this point yeah you know to to kind of back up from from this process like i i, I think the high level sequencing was it started as an idea online that proliferated and because of the proliferation that was some validation for the idea like dennis tweeting it out that getting a bunch of likes and anish building it like that was kind of like very early validation for the idea then the DAO came together, which was just a bunch of members. 
So no, yeah, like you're saying, no leader, no team, just a bunch of members in a Discord trying to figure out what to do next. And then a team came together and then a product was released from, from that team. But I think some of that sequencing is, is interesting. I, I think important. Like I, I think it may prove one day that like the current progressive decentralization model where you start with a team that then builds a product, that product gets traction and then a DAO is formed around that because there's some community using the product. Might, might introduce complications that the kind of if, if you inverse that model, like you wouldn't find. You're changing, you're totally re-sequencing re it. Yeah. And, and even from like, you know, a, a product market fit point of view, like having worked on the launch and, and seen the launch play out, like I don't think that type of launch would have been possible if we were a normal startup and if there wasn't the DAO there. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of initial distribution through the launch that happened because DAO members were very much involved and they felt ownership over the product itself and what was being shipped. And uh, I think that kind of culture or, or, the, or that community aspect to it just really changed what the response was. So do you, so one maybe outcome of this is that you as a person who has an idea and wants to build, you know, wants to build it and ship it and bring it into the world, you kind of need to have a different relationship to this project than you would to a startup that you were founding. You need to be much more flexible about where this thing is going to go. You know, you, you can't like the model of the founder with a very uh, distinct vision of the future that they're going to rally the troops behind and get there. You know, let's say the archetypical, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, where we want him to have board control and like ability to, to do what he wants. That's not what's happening here. Right. Like maybe another critical ingredient of what happened with party DAO was that the spontaneity and playfulness of it, that no one was like, this is what I'm doing with my life for the next 10 years. And I need it to like look this certain way. Right. Like it was all very casual and playful how it came together. And it, that whole process allows for multiple people to shape what it's going to be in a more open way. Is that true? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think also, I was just thinking about your point about, you know, having someone with a strong product vision. I mean, I, I would argue there is a way to thread that. Like, I do think strong product vision is still extremely important in products in general. Like, designing products by committee through votes. Doesn't is, work, right? Yeah, it's, 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 well, I don't know if it works, but it, it sounds tough to, like, take an idea where someone just has a vision behind it and then uh, have it go through that administrative process. So, you know, again, just using PartyBit as like one example of this, uh, th there was a strong product vision that got put forth on Twitter, right? And then proliferated. I would also say like what we're seeing in the community now and even just from PartyBit users is also like some other like strong proposals about what should happen next with the product. I would even say too, in the specking pro process, there are multiple people that I felt like pretty strongly opinionated about exactly like I think Dennis did like the four bullet point summary, like people pull their money together, they place a bid, they win, they fractionalize. But there's a lot more details within each of those steps. And I, at least for my opinion, is I was like pretty strongly advocating that like we should or shouldn't do certain things at the protocol level. And I think like Anna was doing the same, Steve was doing the same, you were doing the yeah. same. So 
And it's interesting, even like V2, or is that what you're calling it, that you're shipping, like it has some really strong product ideas, right? Of allowing, you know, allowing it to like stream to this person outside, uh, like one particular person. Yeah. That, that, that idea, though, also came from within the community. So that, that's what I mean by like, I think you can still have, you can, you can thread the needle between like a DAO structure of, you know, m- more collective involvement between uh, people in like creating a product and still having a strong product vision. So the idea of what we're calling and releasing uh, very soon called party splits is uh, you, you, when you start the party, you can have an address that a portion of the fractional tokens resulting from the party are going to go to. And there are a few things you can use that for. You can imagine someone setting it to themselves. So they're almost like doing a curator or party hosting fee. You can imagine uh, someone who's selling the piece themselves actually like retaining ownership. So then they're just selling, you know, say, uh, you know, 70% of the NFT to, to other folks. So they can kind of like co-own it with the community. But the use case that uh, we're kind of most clearly seeing right now is around bootstrapping DAOs. And, and that idea came from Sirsu, who's a member of, uh, of PartyDAO, um, releases NFTs himself, has a decentralized esports team and so on. He, he does a lot in the space that he's experimenting with. But one thing he put together was something called the Crypto Cookout, which was a series of party bids to purchase black crypto punks and had a community, you know, a whole POC community around it that had this kind of core message of, of owning pieces that represented That's that awesome. community. And so uh, what they'll be using this, this feature for is, yeah, but bootstrapping a, a larger DAO or, or a community and treasury for a crypto cookout. Uh, and, and that was like directly inspired by that vision that, that he put forward. So I, I think um, it's, it's really fun actually to kind of see this process of like people using the products. Yeah. And getting inspiration from that. So it it feels like maybe it's a gradient. It's a spectrum of, you know, existing organizational types where say, you know, you really want to empower the, the the employees, you know, on all of your teams working on the product themselves because they're really close to the users and have ideas. You want to empower them, you know, in a traditional company to be able to share ideas, right? You want everyone in your company to be able to share ideas. And then you also want to have a close feedback loop with your users and listening to what they're, you know, what they want and what they're doing. And you also want to, you know, make your users and your community feel like they have ownership over the platform, you know, the way that Airbnb and like Uber and Lyft probably try to do. But it's like taking all of those ideas that are on a gradient and are possible maybe to some extent in existing organizations. And it, and the DAO model is like starting with that premise. It's like starting like way off on this side of the spectrum and. I mean, the ownership piece is probably a big part of it, too, where these people like your users, your community, they actually own a piece of the company, the project, the, the DAO, and they don't in, in, the, in the old world. Yeah, I mean, like, I wonder how sincere it feels to like be at like the Facebook town hall and Mark Zuckerberg's like, hey, guys, I want your ideas I really want everyone to feel like they can express mm-hmm. ideas about product when the person but, telling but you that you, we like, shouldn't owns, be, like the vast majority. We shouldn't of, like, be the comparing it that. to like Facebook of today. We should be comparing it to Facebook when it was like ten people, yeah. right? And if a DAO scales the same way that Facebook did, like the f- fifth, the five thousandth person who joins it is also not going to have as much 
ownership as the first five people, right? So what's actually different here? So someone once asked me a similar question of like, hey, how different is this than a startup with like 100 angel investors who are like really involved and in a discord together and, you know, that they're shilling the project online and so on. But I think there is like a very dramatic, even though the kind of technical aspects might be trivial, like the multisig and, and the discord, but I think there is a big shift culturally in how people think about the product and the project itself and their own involvement and ownership in it. Uh, and there is also the real practical thing that like they can vote yeah, like with their tokens on proposals and actually like make proposals themselves yeah. like that itself is, um, your, your, your empowerment within that group becomes very different because there is no forum like that within a traditional company to be able to make those type of proposals. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm kind of, uh, exploring this idea for the sake of it, but I do think there's like something and it, and the biggest parts of it might be just on the cultural, like soft side of your calling, you're, you're calling this a different thing and it comes with a whole bunch of like different expectations, right? Even thinking about ideas of someone can work with a DAO on a project and work with like other DAOs on other things at the same time and, you know, phase in and phase out. And sure, you can do all of that stuff with existing companies, but it's just a different set of expectations that you're starting from here. Yeah. It's always bad territory for me, like intellectually, when you're trying to like, like draw lines that separate like two different things, because usually it ends up just all being like semantic things but i definitely think some differences between like an early facebook and like an early party dow or that is to say like the prototypical early startup and the prototypical <laughs> early dow it's like a bunch of things like one the fact that like a lot of the work is happening in public the fact that anyone can join the discord server versus you can't join the facebook slack and you can't see like what they're working on i think in terms of ownership it's probably universally true that when a project starts the early contributors are going to get more ownership than the later contributors but at like T zero, when the thing starts, how decentralized is it is also a spectrum. And like at T zero for Facebook, it's 100% mark versus at T zero for party DAO. It's already distributed amongst all those people. And, um, it's not like 90% of equity is in the hands of the founders. Like, like think about like, if you had a hundred angel investors in your normal startup, okay, let's say that was your seed round. So 75% are still in the founder's hands and 25% are split amongst the hundred angels for party DAO is just like, okay, immediately all of it. Like there's not the reserved 75% for the founders or whatever. So like, that's different. The fact that you can work on a flexible schedule. So you could come in and actually earn some ownership or earn some tokens, uh, without joining full time. And then you could move on and you could also be working for other DAO simultaneously. That's different. Yeah. Like obviously like the cultural pieces are big and then also the, the amount of control. So usually like in a company, there's ownership and there's control. Those are different things. So like you're an employee, you got 1%. That's awesome. But like the founder still can tell you like exactly what to do. And you can't, you have like really no viable route to like affecting the roadmap other than personally convincing the founders to do anything that you want. Whereas in a DAO, if you submit a proposal and more or less like the other, the other owners agree with you, you can actually like affect the roadmap. So I think it's like all these things are different. There's there's like analogies from startups to this or really even probably co-ops and nonprofits like they all kind of have these mechanisms. These are just like core things that are going to happen when a group of people come together to try to do a thing. But these are, I think, all like notable differences when you're doing it like online this way. Yeah. 
And I feel like these might sound like small things, but they're actually huge, right? Like the ability, the, the difference between ownership and governance and ability to vote on what happens to the project. Like just the simple facts that you could have a delegated voting model where people can, you know, be like, we, we respect this person's thinking and opinion and we're just going to delegate a ton of tokens to them. And now all of a sudden in a totally decentralized way, this person's voice matters in the future of what happens with right. this DAO. And I mean, I also think even on top of that, just like the fact that to work on party DAO, you just have to like get voted on a proposal or selected by a PM or whatever versus joining and signing paperwork with HR or whatever. Let's use like a party analogy. If you like show up to a party in an apartment and you walk in and there's just music and you're, you're in the party, you're like you're attending versus if you go to your friend's apartment, there's a line outside and you have to like sign some paperwork and buy your ticket and get your wristband and then you like get to go in. Very different vibe, like culturally speaking. And I think that's the same for like the DAO, like the idea that you can like start checking it out, meet the people, you start working on some stuff, then eventually get paid to work on the stuff. It's very different versus like signing your paperwork, quitting your job, and now you're going in on the first day blind to like your whole new life. All, all huge differences in, in terms of the actual human experience of, of doing it. You know, uh, like all this points towards like DAOs as they exist today, trying to address the question of like, how do DAOs become more mainstream? Like this, these are all like very ad hoc processes. Like I would say a lot of party DAO has been very fun, but also a lot of like feel, feeling your way in the dark about how do you do this, you know, how do you build a product within the context of a DAO? I, I do think we're getting to a point though where DAOs becoming like re reaching a larger audience is going to require like more opinionated products. Like to, you know, back to your point about like product vision, like I do think products that enable DAOs that have like a strong opinion about like how they should be formed or how they should behave, I think will do better. And like the analogy I think about is like, social media versus like general website creation. So, you know, posting to Instagram or posting to Twitter is a very opinionated, narrowly constrained form of publishing. And there's only like very specific things you can do. And uh, because of those constraints, it makes it very easy. Like it's like the, the user prompts becomes uh, very simple. And as a result, you're seeing like a huge, right? Uh, like, like a huge spike in terms of the amount of photos that get shared online or you know, the, the, the amount of posts that get shared online. Um, you compare that to like early website publishing, which was like you're using GeoCities or Squarespace or, or some other like website building tool and building a website is like a whole project. And you have to go hire a designer and you have to think about you know, the different, like the information architecture of the website itself versus like just posting a photo. And I, I think we'll see something similar with DAOs and like how opinionated they are as well. Like, you know, mirrors creating tools that make it really easy to spin up a crowdfund to get the DAO done. That's what uh, PartyDAO used. Uh, Juicebox is very opinionated in terms of treasury management and how a DAO should manage its treasury going forward. And PartyBit is is extremely opinionated, right, around like what a DAO should be. Uh, you know, PartyBit like has like one mission, like go, go acquire an NFT. And like that's all the DAO is for uh, to begin with. So I think those constraints uh, should help usher in more uh, people and you know, just make it more uh, usable uh, to more folks and more users. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see like more examples in this space of like highly opinionated products that allow you to spin up DAOs quickly. It's maybe it's an unintuitive realization, right? Because we're also so early and there's potentially a million different patterns that could emerge. And so one instinct might be to build tools that are unopinionated and allow the user to do whatever they want with them. But what you're saying instead is like the model could be to build like 
very narrowly focused um, products that enable a certain type of behavior. And then you can see, you know, where this line, where this vector of uh, exploration leads. Maybe it's a dead end. And then you go and build another narrow, uh, you know, narrowly defined products. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong about, you know, that that's the right path forward to kind of have these highly opinionated products. But I feel like crypto is like complicated enough, like just like yeah. take, take the burden away from the user and like, you know, give them, you know, sh show them a path to like go, go do something and have fun doing well, it. I definitely agree to build a good product. Maybe maybe you don't need it. You can still get lucky otherwise through like chaos. But like your best bet is to have a really strong, smart product vision that like has an insight from someone with like particularly good taste or insight into a market. And I think we do have that on the team. Like I definitely have my own opinion on like what the actual long-term potential is for party bid, what the immediate feature should be, what the long-term roadmap should be. We have that in abundance. I think Danny has that. I think Steve has that. I think that. like there are multiple people with like good vision there. It's just that that's not like the only way to move forward. And so as long as you have a few people who have like good product vision, it's just that they don't need to be the only people contributing to that vision. Those people can also hear ideas from elsewhere and edit and curate them into the product. So, you know, you could, you could run a DAO, you could even run party DAO. Like you could do the same idea without any of those people and without a strong vision coming from anywhere. And I think it would do worse, but I think there's like multiple ways to pursue projects and, and how, and how much you can decentralize them based on like what your goal is. Right. So to take something like loot on the other side of this, like right. if you have a spectrum from like centralized ownership on day one to decentralized ownership on day one and how you move along that spectrum over time, I feel like party that was like pretty decentralized on day one, like more decentralized than a startup, but not as much as like loot. And it's like kind of like progressively spreading ownership further as the tokens proliferate and as more stuff gets built, more contributors come in and earn more tokens, blah, blah, blah. I think we're probably like right, right where we should be in terms of what we're trying to do, which is to actually build a pretty technically complex protocol with a coherent user experience and front end product and good design. And it needs to have, at least at the end of the day, they don't need to be the only source of ideas, but it needs to ultimately have someone at the end of the chain who's editing down those ideas into like what actually makes sense for the product for something like loot. It's more like, um, the main thing we're trying to build is like this abstract, like universe of IP and games and like ideas that all are tied to like the same asset and like inspiration, but they can kind of go anywhere and they don't need to be coherent. So it's fine to decentralize it from day one because you can go make like the adventure quest that's based on dragons or whatever. And you can make some derivative items that like expand the, the merch and someone else can write a story or like fan fiction. And we don't need like ultimate curation because really we're just trying to like prol proliferate a bunch of cool IP that like continues to culturally expand. That's pretty different than like protocol engineering. So I, I, I guess I think like any given DAO, right, or just like project should probably like know what it's aiming to do and then design its organization and ownership around that goal. And I think for us right now, we're still in the realm where like we need people with strong product vision, but given that we have that, we're also benefiting from some decentralized ownership and like cultural momentum of having more people. I involved. think, I think this is like one of those very interesting questions right now that, that is under exploration of like, where do you lie on this spectrum? of you know having 
a strong vision and a through line that you're carrying this project through and then other people can attach to that on the sides versus like putting a very unopinionated kernel like a shelling point flag in the ground that ever that anyone can come and have their own take on i was talking with this uh, about this with um Gobsheep at at Dark Forest, uh, not to reveal his <laughs> its real name, and um, Dark Forest is also kind of negotiating this spectrum where their you know their vision is that this is a universe that people built apps within and different clients in, and and like ultimately the only thing that's that people are coordinating around are the smart contracts that enforce the physical laws of this universe like where you where your planets are and how you can move between them outside of that like what they look like what the clients are like what marketplace you're using what auction mechanism you're using like what second order battles are happening on top of this like they're totally unopinionated around that and and it's interesting that um like i think they're like a little bit to the to the you know right of loot on this spectrum where they are you know kind of defining goals for each round of the game right like for the latest round of the game they were like the 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 metric like the the way you win this game is to get a planet closest to the origin coordinate like to zero zero and that's like the goal that's what everyone's like optimizing for and then within that it's total like open season and you do whatever you want so i feel like that's pretty interesting yeah yeah definitely and then obviously there's examples like uniswap as well where like I don't know, like you can kind of, if, if you just decide on like these coordinates or maybe this is a spectrum, there's probably like an interesting two by two here or whatever in terms of like org design, but you can, you can like kind of analyze every project in the space in terms of like how, how much they've distributed ownership and control from day one and like which direction they're moving over time. This kind of goes back to the point about like consumer applications in crypto being a front end on top of a whole bunch of different protocols where the protocols themselves, like what you were saying with Dark Forest, can be relatively unopinionated about like what's happening. But at the application layer, there can be an opinion about, okay, we're putting this together for this use case for someone to easily like do X, Y, and Z. And maybe that's like the purpose of composability, right? Like it like right. like two, you know, a whole bunch of contracts interact with each other to then eventually at some abstract level, like produce a singular experience that is cohesive and fun and makes sense to, to the user. I think that, I think that might be one of the kind of insights that's emerging, which is like at the smart contract layer, you want to be kind of catch the core core logic and be unopinionated about how people use it and allow many different interfaces to be built on top of that thing without privileging any one kind of use case or direction of exploration and then at the level above that at the application level you want to be opinionated you want to have like a specific user specific use case in mind and just narrowly design for that and like that's the division between application like you know, product, like full stack product with a front end and a smart contract that's meant to be this composable unit that like a whole bunch of different things plug into. Yeah. And that, that's also happening with loot, right? Like each one of these games are pretty opinionated about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't, it's interesting. We haven't, well, actually we kind of have seen like 
some early experiments with alternate interfaces for party bid, not built by us. And we've also started to think about even like how to incentivize those two at the protocol level. So yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see like, yeah, what, what it would mean for there to be different party interfaces. I think right, right now there's, it's still early enough that there's kind of like a clear primary use case that kind of catches everything. But over time I could definitely see like more opinionated party bid interfaces for like specific kinds of things. Um, especially as like the types of parties that are supported or like encouraged expand. So like right now, like right now, every party bid is kind of a one-off, right? So like you bring the money together, if you win the NFT, it gets fractionalized. And uh, that party as it stands is now kind of like done. Like the membership is set. People can still buy the token, but like that token is that one NFT, et cetera. There's an idea of like having recurring parties, right? Where like you could, you got the one and now those same people or even more people can pull into like the same ontological like unit of that party and get a second NFT and a third. And I think as an early exploration into that use case, I think this new primitive of the party split is like the latest way, way to kind of test out that idea because um, the commonality of like a recurring party is just getting ownership in multiple NFTs. So theoretically, even using our existing party bid contracts, you could form 10 parties in a row where 5% of every single one went into the same multi-sig. And even though each one of those is still a one-off party, if you have a multi-sig, that multi-sig can represent like a recurring DAO or recurring party. And so that's what we're excited about, like Crypto Cookout, for example. They've, they've won two black CryptoPunk so far. But theoretically, you could say like, hey, every month this DAO is going to buy another black CryptoPunk. And every time that happens, 5% of the fractions are going to go to the Crypto Cookout DAO. And um, this will start being kind of the early prototype of these recurring like parties with longevity. And who knows, maybe someday that has like its own interface for, for doing this specific type of thing. If you're trying to set up like a, a collector DAO versus a one-off party. There's a lot of stuff like that in the works right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's even the idea of like parties as a composable idea. So like, like what makes up, what's the party and party bid? It's a bunch of people coming together to like buy the NFT. Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of people coming together, to like do a transaction together. And like that, that, that could, that could also mean other, other things. I mean, like we've tossed around the idea of like party mint, like minting an NFT as like, you know, current experience that happens like through Etherscan and so yeah. on. And it happens like very sequentially, like each person kind of comes on and eventually runs out. But yeah. what if it all happened at the same time? And it's like, you know, all 10,000 people are like online at the same time. And like, they are, they then like receive their NFT. Yeah. Uh, once they're all on or, and, or, and that being kind of like a collective uh, yeah. experience that they have together or, or a party sale where a group of creators come together and sell each of them is selling an NFT at the same time. And a party can buy like the whole collection of different artist pieces who have like collaborated to be like a, a group of artists as if they were opening their own shared gallery show for the evening or something like that. Like, and then also funny of, of parties as a composable primitive. Imagine, you know, you're having a party at your apartment. I'm your hallway neighbor. I'm having a party. What if we merge our parties and like, you know, share the booze or whatever? Yeah. Like, you could imagine two parties. You can imagine the reserved party split fractions staying within the contract itself to be governed in terms of where those fractions go. And we could eventually like merge parties and swap fractions or or like take the fractions and vote on how to how to spend them elsewhere or whatever, like bid using. Anyway, all, all the stuff obviously ha has a million angles it could go. I, I don't think it makes sense to pursue them all at once, but I think what we're doing is trying to figure out like what is what is like a pretty good bet in terms of what's tangibly valuable today. 
and let's like productize those things. And I think the fun thing for us right now, at least the fun thing for me and I think for the whole team is like, we're a protocol and we have like the flagship UI or whatever, we're a protocol and a product. And so not only are we like getting to build the primitives at the protocol level, but then we get to be pretty opinionated about like what the visual product experience is for those things. And obviously like one big thing on the, on the launch was like the shared cursor presence and cursor chat. You could imagine the the party bit client being like pretty boring actually. And like maybe not even taking off the way that it has just because it wasn't like as cool on the product side. So I, I actually think we've done like a really good job so far and I'm excited to keep being like, all right, like what's the next primitive that gets introduced and then how do we productize it to make it really cool and make very like calculated bets on like what's important as we evolve the thing. And so par- party splits, well, today we're recording this on Monday. Those will go live today and there's a cool, pretty lightweight experience for like when you create your party, setting up the fractions and who they're going to go to. Um, for your use case. So how, how did you think about the product experience for that? Yeah, I think for, for that, the, the most important thing for us was like naming and like copy that explains like how the feature works because it's a new feature. And then also just surfacing the fact that those fractions are being allocated to the party so that participants who are contributing ETH to the party are very clear about the fact that like, for example, 5% of the tokens are going somewhere after this is over, which is essentially dilution. And so I think the main thing for that was making it legible. We'll be publishing a blog post later today. It's like explaining the feature and what you can do with it. But with this type of feature, I also usually trust like it's simple enough that once it's out there, people will realize what they can do with it because um, there's like strong incentive to, to do so. I feel like I noticed like just the the kind of product questions around that. Like I was just thinking about that of, I think you're calling the feature guest of honor right? Is that right? Or have you changed it? Well, we're calling it party splits, but we had played with the name guests of honor. We had played with the name party percentage. We, we probably had like a dozen like viable candidates. Yeah. All, all of them had their own trade-offs. So the guest of honor thing I think was nice because it fit very well into like the party vibe. If the fractions were going to someone who was not the party creator, it's kind of like the perfect name. Cause it's like, Oh, if I'm making a party to win this crypto toad or whatever and i'm giving five percent to uh i don't know someone on twitter that we think is really cool that's awesome like they're the guest of honor they're getting these fractions that's that's perfect the problem is it was a bit confusing when you set it to be like the curator fee for yourself like you wouldn't host a party and say i'm the guest of honor at my party so we had to find yeah the name that kind of like conveyed the specialness of the meaning and was fun but also like didn't actually like, can kind of confuse the versatility of it. So party splits is where we ended up. The, the, there was a medieval aspect to the phrase guest of honor too. Yeah. It's like maybe like two like Ren Faire, like <laughs> yeah. game, game of Thrones. Yeah. That, I mean, it wasn't quite part of the brand. Yet. If, if I start a party and use the party split to give fractions to someone other than myself, I will just call them the guest of honor on like Twitter or something, which is why they're getting the, the party split, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how much names matter. I think that's another thing I've learned in this space over the last while of like a name is a big part of the meme that you're creating and like the, the vibe that people have around a particular project. Like one of the questions is like if party bit was called something else, like if it was called group bit, like it would not have gone. If it was called like compose a bit or some like it, like it, it has to be like, it has to be really simple and legible. It has to be like immediately easy to understand and like bonus points if it's also fun, right? So like 
Fractional is not a super fun name, but it's very, very clear what it does. And like, no one is confused. Oh, the company's called Fractional and you can fractionalize an NFT. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not as simple. boring as group bid. Right. Yeah. You can imagine, you can imagine calling it something kind of, kind of like insane, like, I don't know, like, like an engineering term for, for like mechanizing fractionalize whatever. Like there's definitely crypto products out there that I could think of. I can't off the top of my head or, or, and wouldn't want to call anyone out anyways, but I, party bit's great because everyone, like party's just a fun word and like party bit is yeah. pretty simple of a Have name. You, well, more I, of their I feel that NFTs in particular are kind of social by nature, right? You, you become a part of a community by, bo- by owning an NFT, whether it's a crypto punk or participating in a party DAO. And so because the social aspect is a key part of it, you know, you want to speak on behalf of the wallet that you participated from. And it's different than when you're, you know, putting funds into a Uniswap pool, which is pretty much a solo experience, right? Like you're, you're interacting with this anonymous protocol. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the argument I would make, though, is I, I think increasingly, and part of this is going to be one example, but I think increasingly people will want to do types of transactions that are with other people, or they will seek out on-chain experiences that are social in some form and i think nfts like i think part of the reasons nfts are are in this moment right now is like i think they're the best expression of that right now like again you can see people you you can see who's interacting with lamagachi right and and then who's actually like feeding the pet and so on or who's participating in the party bit i think one day it'll seem strange that like all value that's described is very social like the reason that Picasso is valuable because like there's social consensus around like Picasso being like an important artist or even like a currency, right. right? Has like social consensus around it. But the idea that you had your own bank account and you had your own investments and they were entirely solo, the bar to actually like share them with anyone else is like super high. Like you get married, right? But that, that's going to seem like a weird idea when you have like friends that you've talked about, you know, movies with or art with or, you know, finance with for hours, but you have zero right. shared interest. It's like other. there's this there's this manufactured firewall between your talking about like the token or the investment or how what how you think about a particular thing. And then each person goes off in their own solo accounts and executes the same transaction. Right. And why can't that all happen together? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think if, you know, if you, if you propose the argument that more transactions are going to be more social going forward, and that's like uniquely enabled by crypto because of trustlessness and, and permissionlessness, that people will want to show up with their wallet that they want to present to the world that has a name ascribed to it mm-hmm. and has a set of NFTs that they're proud of. So John's going to like clean out his wallet after yeah. this. He, 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 he wants the wallet that's like going to present his best side and he's going to take down his poster of, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy of like a kid in their room who's like, oh yeah, I got to take down my... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're having exactly. your friends over. Yeah, 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 exactly. I got to take this one poster. I got to pull up like the cool band poster to like kind of, you know, show who I am to this, to you know, in, in this social environment now. Right. Well, I feel like it is going to go through a cultural block that we have around being transparent with our financials too, right? No one, like it's basically completely private, right? Like no one else knows what's in your bank account to any extent other than say your spouse, like when you get married. 
And now we're going to transition to a model where it's like, okay, like, do you each want to put in X amount of dollars to buy this NFT? And like, these sorts of behaviors are going to become more normal. I definitely think that's true. I think there, there will definitely be a pretty significant increased comfort sharing financial info. Not necessarily because people want to go through that change, but just that'll just happen by nature of it being inevitable. Like everyone in crypto's finances are more open than they've ever been before. So people just kind of have to adjust to that. I mean, if you participate in anything on chain, it's basically impossible to obfuscate entirely what kind of gains or whatever you're making. And particularly too, I mean, if you're an artist too, like everyone can see how much your work is selling for, like what kind of revenue you're doing. It's very different than like if you were selling prints on Gumroad or something, like no one can see what kind of sales you're doing, but on foundation, everyone can literally see like how much money you're making. And that's just for that one job. But yeah, maybe this is a byproduct of crypto being really early. So right now there's a lot of activity that's like whale dominated. And so how much Bitcoin or ETH in the account really matters. Maybe if, you know, as, as crypto proliferates more, it becomes more mainstream. Like it'll be more normal for like there to just be a lot more smaller wallets. And the idea that, you know, you're snooping around a wallet and seeing a hundred bucks, like who cares, right? About that as like kind of financial information. And so maybe all of this, like the, the idea of like sharing more of your life publicly financially is, is, is because crypto today is still like small and somewhat whale dominated where the financials really matter. But as this, you know, distributes to millions, billions of people where you have a lot more wallets with smaller amounts, like the predominant activity might just be around smaller transactions where that kind of financial history sharing is less pronounced. Yeah. And, and, and the activity that will matter is like you're communicating, you know, association with the community because of like a certain NFT that's, that's in your wallet and that you're kind of like presenting to the Clabland Discord bot or that you're presenting you know, your name, which maybe has like uh, a symbol attached to it that, you know, you're presenting when you participate in the mirror crowd from the party bid and so on. So what's, what's happening from here with party bid, with well, party DAO? 1.2 is live today or as the day that we're recording this. The other thing beyond party splits is that the fee model for party DAO is updated. So instead of taking 5% of the ETH used in a winning bid, we take two and a half percent of the ETH and we take two and a half percent of the fractions which is cool because that means that the party DAO treasury will gradually accumulate fractions of all the NFTs that are ever won on party bid, which means that the DAO's business model is very aligned with the users of the protocol, which we think is going to be really cool. Also, the fact that we're taking ETH and fractions means eventually we can do really cool stuff like having the protocol provide liquidity for these for these fractions and stuff like that. So that's, that, that's a cool protocol upgrade. You know, one thing that we're aiming to do kind of forever is just increase the number of platform integrations that we have. So right now it's like fra- it's a foundation, Zora, Nouns, Catalog. We're just continuing the number of, of marketplaces that you can bid on using party bid. And then there's, there's bigger protocol changes and new features coming out that are super top secret. So we'll be working on those as well. And then obviously in terms of the, the DAO setup, we're hoping to find uh more long-term models for having contributors working on the DAO, inviting new members to the Discord, continually funding the DAO. Like these are kind of the big existential questions. So there's like the product and protocol work, but there's also the organizational work. And right now, because of the time we're in, like the protocols out there, we've just released a new 
protocol version. We're trying to be kind of like 50-50 right now so that we can solve these organizational questions while still shipping products. So on the organizational side, like how how do you see the team growing from here? Do you see you giving grants, say, to to you know people to come and execute specific projects? Are you looking to hire people full-time? Is that even a concept that makes sense within a DAO? Yeah, there's a bunch of options. Um, there's there, there's full-time, which is already happening to some extent. Like we're, we're essentially, the, the rhythm right now are these like two-month sprints where there is budget for the sprint approved by the DAO members. And then, you know, four or five people can go like go heads down and contribute as much as they can to, to complete that sprint and, and ship out product. You know, there's also options around, yeah, people doing kind of more task specific things. Like and someone might propose like, hey, I want to create a Twitter bot and I'm going to work on that for a couple of days or, or a week or whatever. That's a good idea. Right. Yeah. That, that would be great for, for, for party bid for sure. So, so, so there's more of that happening uh, that, that kind of would be more, more grants based. There's also potential for, you know, this is just like riffing right now, but like you know, something that's like more committee based, like people maybe don't participate like a significant amount of time, but they're participating in a committee that's like has an objective, right? And maybe that's a party curation committee, right? Where they're like looking out for auctions or NFTs and they're like, wow, this would be a really great one to party on. And like, we should work with the community on this and like get, uh, you know, that, that party started. You can imagine like that, that type of work coming together as well yeah. with, with people who contribute to the DAO. I think there's a lot of models doing the mini grants makes sense too. I think right now we still haven't completely secured our future or like totally solved having people working on party bit, the protocol for a long time in a serious way. And so I think like other committees, grants, different focus areas, like having more events, having more community stuff happening, having more like live streams, granting contributors and doing bounties whatever like all that stuff is really cool and i think it, it should happen but like the the complete total focus right now is like figure out the recurring way to have contributors always elaborate on the protocol and then once we do that we can like look at all the other stuff what's the bottleneck to that is it funding i think funding is a big one and the other is just to figure like choosing the right models and incentives like i think the to use the engineering term like naive implementation the naive implementation would be get a bunch of funding and then make like full-time offers to a bunch of people that would be very straightforward and that's one solve but i think since we're like definitely innovating on or maybe not innovating but we're like trying new things with organizational models and contrib contribution models there are more specific things we could do right like um there's more flexible arrangements in terms of part-time or full-time, or there's like completely decoupling pay and time spent and more tying pay and token allocations to like deliverables or KPIs. Like there's a lot of stuff we could figure out. And so I think obviously we need funding to be able to pay people, but we also need the right model that's going to serve the DAO long-term to help party bid grow as a protocol. So I think the way that we're doing that is like, well, luckily revenue has been funding the DAO so far. It would be nice to really increase revenue or find another way to inject capital so that we can at least know like, okay, once we know the right model, we can pay everyone. And then I think the other things, um, I know the contributors are thinking about it. There's, there's discussion happening in the DAO members discord channels around, um, token structure stuff. And I think eventually we'll get to like the right incentive models for contributions, but, um, 
I think the bottleneck there is just social coordination and like establishing consensus in the DAO that like that we know a model that we feel like confident is the right model to move forward with. How do you guys think about how this DAO ties into the real world as you start thinking about this as a more long-term thing for you personally, right? Like one version of this is that it remains completely crypto native and, you know, each person is receiving pay in ETH and USDC and party tokens and just kind of accounts for that as if they're a, say a freelancer working with this, I don't know, a foreign entity that isn't, you know, based in the country where they are or I don't know. How, how do you model this as you start to double down on it? Yeah, we, we've done some initial research around like what this could look like going forward. Right now, what's cool about it is like party DAO is pretty pure. Like it is fully on chain there. There is no like outside entity. There is no kind of like legal representation of, uh, of party DAO. And I think, you know, the, the design goal, I think for any DAO is probably to keep that, keep that going forward and, and having it purely on chain. As you start thinking about DAOs paying taxes, DAOs maybe offering legal contracts to mm-hmm. contributors or employees and so on, like you, you, you'll, you'll want probably some type of representation of, of the DAO in, in the real world. But the idea that you just set up a corporation to represent that DAO, like singularly, yeah. may, maybe is well, like John was saying earlier, is like like the naive implementation. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like may, maybe there could be kind of more flexible models. Something John's talked about before is like you know, imagine like every single function that a DAO would need to interact with the real world for was just spun up as a single purpose corporation that would then just get spun down right afterwards. I was thinking about like serverless functions. Or, or like legal entities as serverless function. So it's like, oh, the DAO needs to like receive a big payment and pay taxes on it. Okay, like it spins up party DAO LLC number 13, facilitates that transaction, pays the taxes, and then shuts down the LLC. And it just like does this whenever it needs to interact with legacy legal systems because the DAO does have real world constraints, right? Like it has to comply with the laws of the nations that it's in. It has to pay taxes in the nations that it's in. It ha- like it has to follow all the rules but it also wants to be flexible. So it can just have like these moments in time that it spins up the proper legal structures to do whatever it needs to do and then just spins them down. And that keeps things moving flexibly versus like having this kind of behemoth legal entity that's just growing over time as the DAO does more stuff. And also like there's, there are lawyers we've spoken to who have mentioned that like another way some DAOs or some people thought about DAOs doing this is having like, each person, each individual working for the DAO having their own LLC through which they interact with the DAO. So the individuals have limited liability as they like interact or whatever. But again, all, all these things are just like kind of theoretical ideas right now. I think we're still trying to figure out like this I would put into this, this set of questions that we're still figuring the, out. The, the, there's also basic stuff like payments. You know, we, the, the, there are accounts that Party DAO has, right? They're like services that yeah. we pay for. And right now it's like an individual has to like front the money in order to pay for that. If there was like Brex for DAOs, we, we would use that, right? You know, like, like give us like a real world yeah. account that we can pay. Give us, a v, give us a Visa card that just draws down a wallet that, that the company owns that we pre-put Ethan or whatever, yeah. just so that we can... Because right now, I think team members' credit cards are on like GitHub for sale, Google Domains, Google Suite, uh, 
all, all kinds of different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like I like that idea though of like you don't want the the core DAO itself to have an LLC. Like that will just add that will lose the magic, right? That anytime you want to give a token to a new contributor, you'd have to update you know, in this, the cap table of this LLC, like it would completely defeat the purpose. So instead what you want to do is to keep the core DAO crypto native and like just outside of the physical world. And then say whenever, whenever you want to do a treasury diversification and you want to sell some party tokens for some ETH, you just like send that party to some LLC, yeah. that LLC, you know, I mean, there's complexities. Like, is that income? Like, uh, I don't know. But it does the sale. It pays the taxes on it and then pays back. Maybe it's a loan that you, like, receive these party tokens right. and you pay it back and it'd be a cool week to later. And programmatically, like, if you had, like, Stripe Atlas. Stripe or, Atlas API that worked like serverless infrastructure instead of... I think Stripe Atlas yeah. is set up right now to be like, you're doing it. Like, you're starting your startup. Like, welcome. Like, let's walk you through, like, everything you're going to need. And it's going to be the one time you ever use this product. But... It'd be cool if it was set up more to be like yeah, if it was like thousands of corporations yeah. like spun up and like spun down for yeah. each DAO based on just like what they're interacting with, and also like you know DAOs are global, right? Like the idea that they're just going to like interact with yeah uh, U- U.S. law or British law or whatever. Like there's probably a lot more complex than this. Stripe could crush it there. You just like like make a put request to create an LLC, choose the country that it's in. Choose like how much funding you want to start it with, whatever. Make that API call, and then just make API requests against the different LLCs that you have to perform certain payments. It is uniquely uh, that opportunity is uniquely suited to like a payments company. I would say like Stripe and even Coinbase, because like both Stripe and Coinbase have to like go out. um, They have to set up legal entities in each country where they're going to operate. They have to set up a bank account. They have to get licensing, like a money service business license or, or an MTL, whatever it is. And you can imagine like all that infrastructure, you know, AWS style, like being sold as a service to DAO in order to interact with the rest of the world. So maybe, maybe last question, like what are, so we've been talking about this API, like what are the tools mechanically, like how does the DAO operate today? What are the different tools that you're using? So the funds are stored in a Gnosis safe multi-sig wallet. We have a discord server for members where now, we have a Discord server with all kinds of public channels for users of PartyBit, but there's a set of channels that are token-gated for the Party token using the Collabland bot. Within those channels, we talk about things, and we frequently use Snapshot using token-weighted voting off-chain to, to make decisions. When we write proposals that we're voting on, we usually write them in Google Docs, but then we upload the PDF of the Google Doc to IPFS through the Pinata client so that the proposal is stored forever and uneditable. In terms of tooling, I don't know, like VS Code, Vercel, Google Domains, Aven for Redis, uh, GitHub, all this stuff. And then uh, we also use Parcel.Money for um, managing our Gnosis Safe. So Parcel, it, it's a, just a nice interface on top of the Gnosis Safe contracts that lets us do things like paying the team all at once and like a batch transactions that we're not signing stuff all the time. Google Authenticator, 2FA, 1Password for the team, security, I don't know, Telegram. Calendar. Telegram, <laughs> calendar. calendar. Okay. Yeah, we use Gmail, uh, iPhone, uh, <laughs> MacBook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the doubts, all the, the classic doubts. <laughs> the, the thumbs, human <laughs> yeah. brain. Yeah, no. Okay, uh, that's a pretty com- comprehensive overview. I think that's like the standard. People are always like, yeah, you need Gnosis Safe and Discord and Snapshot. That's like whatever, like the Dow stack and 
whatever. But yeah, that's like, this is more comprehensive list of like all the stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And soon to be added uh, LLC APIs. Yeah. And I mean, seriously, the first person who lets us like literally just get a prepaid Visa card that we paid using ETH right away because we would transfer all our monthly subscriptions. That doesn't exist today? I don't think so. I mean, we could, uh, we, there, we could there's get... A, there's a bunch of prepaid cards but uh, where you can like load it with crypto and then spend in the real world, like in, in dollars. So like Coinbase has that. What's the other? Crypto.com has that. There's a whole bunch of those, um, but they're not really offered for DAOs. They're offered yeah. for like people. Like KYC'd like, like, individuals. Yeah, like legal, legal people, like right. individuals, right? Uh, and so... Well, I, you need to spin up the LLC and have the LLC go and do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, like, how do you give a credit card to a DAO that doesn't yeah. have like any legal... I guess, yeah. It? That's a perfect example though. Maybe that one doesn't wind down, but it would be like party, party DAO credit cards LLC. And the only purpose is to be registered for the credit cards. That's it. Totally. All right. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks for interviewing us. Thanks for having us. Very great.